How you guys doing? Like, how are you really doing? Like, just take a moment. Just think about it. You know, that question is harder to answer than I think it ever has been these days. You know, someone asked me, how are you doing? And I find myself hesitating sometimes. Not enough where the person, like, it gets awkward, but, like, I go through this, like, mental exercise, like, how am I doing? And you know, Christians, we're no better than the world in this sense of lying. I don't mean to call you out. I do it, too. In fact, I did it a couple times this morning, and I'm repenting to you right now. It's like, hey, how you doing? I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine, right? It's like, I think to myself, do I just straight up lie to this person about, like, how I'm actually doing? Or do I just answer the question contextually, right? It's like, right now, in this moment, I think I'm fine. Like, the earth's not shaking. The walls are standing. I'm here. I'm breathing. I'm fine. But ask me in an hour, it may be different. Ask me tonight when I'm falling asleep and my mind is racing, it might be a different answer. I'm fine, though, right? I'm fine. You know, I saw a, a post on social media. I thought it was a fun little exercise. It said, just think about this past, we'll just say year. You know what I'm talking about, though. We'll just say year, though. Think about this past year. And the social post was, try to sum up your emotional state, just how you are emotionally, using one word, or one emo emoji, if you want. One word. How are you? How is your emotional state this past year? So for some of you, your emoji might be like joy. Like, hey, isolation was great for me. <laughs> I, I could be away from people and have an excuse for it. I was able to get things done. I figured out a new way to work at my job. Things are great. Like, they really are better. Some of you, it may be like the tear emoji. Like, this has been hard. Like, really hard for me. Like, Physically, I'm not the same person. Somebody I know is gone. They're no longer here. Like, I'm really not okay. I asked some of my friends, like, hey, one word, past year, where are you? Some of, my, some of the responses I got back, numb. Just numb. Like, I know I should be feeling something, but it's just been so much. My body, it just, I can't feel anymore. I'm just there. Anger was one, anxiety, afraid, irritated. You know, if I was to pick my word, what my word is over the past year, how am I, my word would be unsettled. Like, I feel like the dust hasn't settled yet over the past year or so. It's like we went through a year, year and a half, like bang, 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 one thing after another, and now it's like it's been two months or something, and like nothing big has happened, and I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for the next thing. Like when's it going to happen because I know it doesn't feel normal yet. So I feel unsettled. Like I'm just, I'm just kind of uptight, and I'm waiting for something to happen because, I mean, the smallest things can just knock somebody over the edge, right? Like the smallest things like debates over vaccine or no vaccine. I can't even talk to some of my family members because of their opinions on vaccines. I just can't. Like the smallest thing just bring out these emotions in people. Economic instability, instability, right? You talk about the economy, somebody has an opinion on it, and it, if it's opposite than you, you're the enemy, right? Racial tension, 
We haven't heard about it a lot since the beginning of the year because the news said, okay, everybody's kind of over it, but the people who are the minority, they still feel it, still there. Political division, the election's over, but man, you still feel it. You still feel it in the air. And then we have this whole COVID variant now. Do I take it seriously? Do I not? Are we going to, like, a year from now, are we going to be in the same place that we were last year? Like, what? It's the unknown. Like, what's going to happen? So just take a moment, again, and think, how are you? How are you feeling? What's your word? What's your emotion? What's your emoji that you would use to categorize it? You know, we're extremely emotional beings. We just are. The problem happens because emotions aren't bad. And I want to make that very clear. Like, it's not bad to have emotions. God gave you emotions. It's how you interpret the world. It's how you interpret events. It's how you get through life, right? But emotions, when left unchecked, that's when it becomes a problem. And what happens is emotions often will get the best of you, right? If you've been on social media, you've seen emotions getting the best of people. Emotions left unchecked. Emotions that kind of go off the walls. And what happens is we become people who react instead of respond, Right? We want to be people who respond through our emotions, but that's not what happens. Like Something happens to us and we disagree and it makes us angry, we react. Something happens to us and it tears us apart, we react. Something happens to us and we don't know what's going to happen next and we react. We don't respond. It's like we've trained ourselves to do this. Emotions aren't bad. What we need to do is look at a very emotional man named Jesus. Because Jesus had emotions. Just like you, he dealt with all of the emotions that you can go through in a single day. And what we have to do is learn to filter our emotions through the example of Christ so that we can respond instead of react. So feel free. This is a brand new series that we are going to be kicking off in with Tethered, our online ministry. Now, let, let me be clear here at the beginning about what Tethered is. Tethered is not something that we've gone out and we purchased and we bought and we are implementing here. No, Tethered was completely created and catered to by this church. It's this church and the leadership saying we need to be intentional where people are. And so we created an online ministry called Tethered. And this is one of the lessons that's going to come up on August 7th, this new series and what, we're, what we recognize and why we created this ministry is because we recognize there are people driving by this church building right now, over and over, hundreds of people in just our hour sitting in here. And the majority of them may never step foot in this church building or any church building. Or it's going to take many, many steps and years for them to take step in here. So through Tethered, we're taking a step towards them. Because the majority of people are online, and so we're taking Jesus there. We're going to tell people about Jesus there. And this is more than just us copying what we do in here and pasting it online. Because the people out there are asking a lot different questions than the people in here. You might be asking, how do I follow Jesus better? They're asking, why should I follow Jesus in the first place? So it's a different strategy. It's a different approach. It's a different angle on ministry. But it's being fully intentional in what we do. That's what Tethered is. That's what we're doing. This is a series. So as we go through this lesson, this is the very first message in this series, and you listen to it and you're like, hey, I know somebody who might benefit from that. 
or man, that really hit me in a way I did, wasn't expecting. I think I know somebody who, could, who needs to listen, or I want to hear what's next. Tether.online, I'll tell you about how to get it later. That's not the point of this, but that's what this message is. It's from Tethered. So let's go back to emotions. Let's go back to Jesus, right? Because that's what this series is all about. Feel free. How can I feel again and be free to feel free again? Uh, And Jesus, somebody studied, as I was preparing for this article, somebody studied the emotions of Jesus. And what they found was just in our gospels, Jesus has 39 different emotions that he expresses. 39. I didn't even know there were 39 emotions. No, no, no. I take that back. It wasn't until I started working with teenagers that I didn't know there were 39 emotions, but you can actually experience 39 emotions about 39 seconds with teenagers is what I come to find out, right? But Jesus was an extremely emotional man, and it's good. It's good because it's how we relate to him. Just think of some of the times that Jesus was emotional. When Jesus was looking over Jerusalem, looking at God's people and a people who want nothing to do with God. And the text says Jesus was grieved. Like it tore him apart to see God's people in the state. Or you can think about Jesus and his response to religious leaders. We call them Pharisees. We're going to talk about them a little bit later, but people who cared more about rules and regulations than they did people, and it made Jesus angry, extremely angry. In fact, In this series, we're going to be talking about anger and how to be angry in a way that Jesus was. How about 72 followers that come back after God has done amazing things, and they're telling Jesus, like, God has used us in amazing ways, and you can just see it in the posture that Jesus talks to them. Like, man, that's great, guys. Yeah, let's keep it going. Like, he's overjoyed. Or the time that Jesus' good friend Lazarus died. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. That little verse gives you profound insight to the character of Jesus. Or the time before the cross, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he experienced the deepest spiritual agony and despair. Anxiety. Some some people categorize that as Jesus' panic attack. Do you struggle with anxiety? Jesus had it too. But what did Jesus do with it? That's actually the next message in this series. But this morning, we're going to look at one of the very first emotions that Jesus had. Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bible, you can go there. We're just going to stay in this one story this morning. Luke chapter 7, one of the first emotions. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus has just preached what I believe is the most famous sermon ever preached. Most popular, the best, you fill in the blank. He's got people crying and people angry. That's how you know it's a good sermon. (laughs) And Jesus has just come off of this, and a crowd is following him, as they normally did, especially whenever it's someone like Jesus saying the things he did. And then we come to this story in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. And if you haven't read this story, or you haven't read it recently, just get ready. You're about to have your socks blown off here. Verse 11, soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nan, and a large crowd followed him. There's our crowd. In a funeral procession, was coming out as he approached the village gate. A young man who had died was the widow's only son. Somebody say that for me. Only son. Only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. And when Jesus saw this woman, here's the emotion, right? 
His heart overflowed with compassion. Underline it, circle it, we'll get back to it. Don't cry, Jesus said. Then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it and the bears stopped. Young man, Jesus said, I tell you, get up. And then the dead boy sat up and he began talking and Jesus gave him back to his mother and a great fear swept over the crowd, an appropriate response, and they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. Wow, what a story. What, really just sit in that story. What a story that we have that happened. So Jesus, he walks up to, he's going into the village, a group is coming out, so he walks up to this funeral procession, which is nothing like they are today, right? So today you have, you know, your line of cars, everybody's dressed in black, everybody's super quiet, sunglasses, all of it. You have a police escort, right? It's a very solemn, which is the opposite in this context. So in Jesus's day, funeral processions were a big public event. In fact, you would actually hire mourners to follow along and they would play tambourines, they'd play cymbals, they would cry out loud, and you're thinking, what? Like, have some respect, people, but you have to remember this is a different world. And just because people do things differently doesn't mean they do it wrong. Where you might say we give them respect, so we're quiet, they're saying we're going to give them respect to make sure everybody knows a life is now gone. A life was here, and it's no longer here, and everybody needs to know about it so that we can celebrate the life that once was. So that's the scene coming out of this village. And there's a bunch of things we don't know about this story. Like we don't know about this widow. We don't know how old she was when she lost her boy and her husband. We don't know if she was 20 years old, just got married, had a kid, you know, her life is beginning and boom, it's all taken away from her. Or was she a little bit later, 30, 40 years old? Her life's a little more established, and now it's crumbling underneath her. We don't know. We don't know about the husband that's no longer here. How, how soon was this? Was this something just recent, and now it's all cascading on top of itself? Or is this something she's had time? Was she expecting the death? Did it happen all of a sudden? Or is it one of those moments where it's like, I hate it, but I'm glad it's over? And we don't know how old this boy was. Was he 9 or 10 years old, or was he 15, becoming a young man? Don't know those details. Here's what we do know, though, is we know that this little boy almost certainly died the day before this moment right here. How do we know that? It's because in Jesus' world, they didn't have formaldehyde, they didn't have embalming fluids, they didn't have these things to preserve the body so that we could get all of our stuff together. Somebody dies, you need to put them away because the body starts doing things you don't want to be around, right? So, this, so just visualize this scene for a second. You know, make this verse, this story come alive for you. Here you have a young woman who has already experienced the loss of her rock, her foundation, her husband, her love. He's gone. And now she already feels the ground crumbling underneath her, but at least she has her little boy. At least her family can continue. At least she'll get to a point where he'll be able to take care of her, and now it's gone. Completely stripped from her. 
I want to I tell you this story. I didn't ask Darian's permission, so hopefully it's okay. I'm sorry if it's not. <laughs> but I, I, we had a, a little experience with like the deep agony of loving your kids and something happening to them. So we were, uh, this was yesterday, and I'm walking around the house practicing my lesson. Darian's in the back packing up some of her bag. So I'm in charge of Arlo, so it's all my fault. Uh, so I have Arlo, and I, I put him on the living room. He has like one of those like little play things on the ground. So I put him down, and you know, he's fine. He's doing his tummy time, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just walking around the living room practicing, practicing my lesson, walking, thinking through thoughts, looking at him. He's fine. He's fine. It's okay. Well, one thing you need to know about my dog is he doesn't like the mailman. I don't know what the mailman did to him. If he like said some like slide remark to Grady or something, but like Grady can handle anybody except that man. He does not like that man or his beeping truck. And so anytime Grady and the mailman meet, it's like it's a scene, right? Something happens. We have a big window in our living room and he lets him know, get away, drop the package back up, right? That kind of thing. So I see the mailman coming, Grady's in the back, and I'm thinking, ooh, I'm going to intercept here, right? You're like, I'm going to get it, I'm going to sneak, he's not even going to know that it's all going to be cool, right? So I go outside, grab the package, think I'm sneaky until I hear the barking inside. And uh, I come back in, and Darian is like flying from the back room, like throwing her phone, throwing whatever she has in her hand, because Arlo is crying, like, on the ground, Grady's freaking out next to him. We don't know if he stepped on him. What ha- Like, we don't know the scene. We just know the baby's crying. And, like, the feeling that you have as a parent holding your baby, who you, like, I did it. I messed it up. I'm a terrible parent. Everything's wrong with me. Like, you're holding this crying child that you are responsible for, and you're like, I failed. Like, take the baby. I don't know what I'm doing. He was fine. Nothing happened. I think the bark scared him. But like you catch a glimpse of it and all of you parents, you know what I'm talking about. But now magnify it. Because not only did you not protect it from this little incident, but her baby boy's gone. And she's walking right next to his body. Mourning. Deepest pain and grief. And look what happens in verse 13. Look what happens. It blows me away every time I read it. The Lord Jesus saw her. Now, what does it mean that Jesus saw her? Like, have you ever experienced, like, a moment so painful you feel like God couldn't see you? Like, so dark and so painful and hurt, it hurts you that you feel like, I don't know where God is in this moment? Like, what does it mean that, like, Jesus saw? You know, that phrase, Jesus saw, actually comes up 40 different times in the Gospels. 40 times Jesus saw somebody, which is kind of funny when you think about it, because like obviously Jesus saw people. Like there's a couple of stories where he feeds thousands of people. What do you mean he saw her? Like Jesus was in crowds. He was in crowds during Passover when hundreds of thousands of people were gathering together to find and worship God. Of course he saw people and more than 40 times. So what is Luke trying to do here? He's trying to show you the difference between looking and seeing. Like, you can look all the time, but it's different than seeing people. Jesus looked at her, he saw her, and he noticed her. A way to think about this, think about whenever you go car shopping, right? You know where I'm going with this. You, so let's say you're going to get an F-150, you know, man's truck, yeah. And you're looking online, 
I'm going to get the, this color. Ooh, I like that color. Ooh, there's a good price on this one. You go to the dealership, you drive it. This is the one, honey. All right, just sit on it. Right? Just sit on it for a week. We'll come back and we'll get it. What happens that next week every time you go out on the road? What do you see? You see an F-150, right? F-150 there, F-150 parked in the, you know, my neighbor has one. I didn't even know he had one. Like everybody's got an F-150 now. Why? Because you noticed it. You were looking before, but now your eyes are focused. You're looking for something, and now you see it. This, happens, uh, this happened with me recently with Darian. Um, you know, we've been married for a few years, and, you know, it's finally starting to click what that means. You know, I, I'm finally beginning to notice her instead of just look at her, right? Um, someone's laughing. <laughs> Who's laughing? <laughs> Darian's laughing. Okay, that's okay. Um, but here's what I mean. Like, you don't realize, like, whenever I first got married, it was like, Darian's my wife. That's, like, Darian is my wife. But over time, that changes. Like, my, Darian's not my wife. Darian is Darian. She has her own passions, her own dreams. Her, she deals with her own stuff. She's her own person, and I'm lucky enough to be married to her. Like, she's not my wife. She's a person. And you begin to notice things in her I notice things. Hopefully you don't notice things. I notice things in her, and you notice things in your spouse that you've never seen before. And I'm talking more than just like, oh, I know when she got her hair done. I finally have clicked. I know that I need to compliment her on that. Like, I begin to notice, like, Darian's laugh. And gentlemen, your wife's laugh is the most precious sound that you could ever hear. I begin to notice, like, the intricacies in her eyes and, like, how beautiful they are. Like, I begin to notice her for who she was. And that takes time, but when you begin to look for it, you begin to notice. So let's go back to the story, and as you get it, we have a single mom. She's lost her husband. She's lost in chaos. Now she's shocked that her baby boy is gone, and the text says Jesus saw her. Of all the people that are following him in this crowd, he saw her. But what did Jesus feel? Because the lesson's all about feeling free. It's about our feelings. So what did Jesus feel? Because whatever Jesus felt for this woman is the same thing that he feels for you when you are lost in pain and grief and turmoil. He feels the same thing. So what did Jesus feel? Well, look, verse 13, Jesus saw her, and then you've already underlined it, his heart overflowed with compassion, 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 I'm convinced, is one of those words that you use it over and over and it loses its meaning. Like, you just kind of disconnect from what that word actually means. Compassion, like, oh, he really, really cared for her. Whatever that means. <laughs> so, in Greek, this word is the best word that you could possibly find in Greek. It's the word spalagna. I'm not kidding. It's, it's spalagna. It's like, really? Spalagna is the word for compassion? That's the one they picked? right? It's S-P-L-A-G-N-A, splagna, splagna. Say it with me, splagna. It feels good. Come on, try it. Splagna, splagna. Everybody's like, splagna. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know why I love that word so much? It's like, it's, I'm sorry, it's like when you stick your finger down your throat and you splagna all over the place, like splagna, like it just comes out of you, which is kind of the point. Like that is kind of pretty much what the word means. Like spalagna, it refers to your guts, to your intestines, and then being twisted and ripped out of you. That's what spalagna is. That's what spalagna is. So because we're so disconnected from this, let's just do a little exercise. I read this from an author who was trying to explain the 
how to actually feel this. And, and we'll do a little exercise so you can feel it this morning. So I want you to imagine you're going to go on a trip today, just you, you're by yourself, you're in the car, and you're going to go hit I-95 and head north here. Okay, so you're driving, you're come, driving along, and you're going to come upon a wreck. And it's a bad one. We're talking about cars, you accordioned in, parts all over the place, multiple cars there. You're the very first one to drive up on this accident, and like, you can feel it. You're, just, you're praying, God, just let everybody be okay. This looks terrible. So you drive a little bit closer, and you know, you're the only one there, and you notice two bodies face down laying by the wreck. This is real. This is the feeling. But then you get a little bit closer, and as you drive up, slowing your car down, you recognize the two people laying down, and they're your loved ones. That's Spalagna. Like it hurts. Like you can feel it washing over you as you think about your loved ones in this scene. You can feel it twisting your stomach. It hurts you. The Lord saw, the Lord noticed, and the Lord cared. He had compassion, overflowing compassion. And I don't know who needs to hear this today. Maybe God put you in this room for this moment right here. I don't know who needs to hear this, but God sees you. He notices you. Of all the people in the world, of all of the cosmos and generations that have passed, he sees you. He cares about you. He noted his gut turns over for you in your deepest pain, in your deepest grief, whatever you're going through. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're going through. You're fighting for your marriage and you don't know how this can happen. You fight every night. You go to bed crying. You wake up in pain and you don't know what's the end solution here. You're fighting to pay your bills. You don't know how is God going to provide. It's been months, it's been a year, and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from here pretty soon. You walk in and your teenager is cutting themselves. You fall on the floor with them in the deepest pain, both for yourself and for them equally. Your health is d diminishing. You're not the same person. You can't do the same things you used to. You feel anxious, what's to come? You're frustrated, what's been there? You're afraid of where you are right now. You're in the deepest pain, you're in the deepest agony, and Jesus sees you. He sees you, and he cares for you. And that's easy for us to forget when we're navigating all the pains and sufferings. But think about what Jesus does in this small little scene. What he reminds us of, his, of who Jesus is. He sees a grieving mom who's hurting from the pit of her stomach. And Jesus notices her, and he also hurts from the pit of his stomach. That's what the text says. And he tells her, don't cry. And then he walks over to the coffin, and he touches it. And everybody stops. And I'll tell you why everybody stops. Well, first off, that coffins are then are nothing like coffins are today. Like now we have like walls and closed and please don't do an open casket. I don't have anything to do with it. Like, I like it that way, kind of closed off. Back then, it wasn't anything like that. It was a plank of wood and a body on top. That's what's walking out. And Jesus walks up. He has the audacity to walk up and touch this piece of wood. Now, why was this so shocking? Why was this so scandalous? Why was Jesus not supposed to do this? It's because of the Pharisees. 
the religious leaders, the ones who, I'm going to keep tabs on what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. They had 613 religious laws, and the focus of those 613 laws were about outward appearance. How are you appearing? How does it look? Are you, because if you can get this figured out, they said you can get this figured out. Jesus is going to turn that on its head, but it's all about show. And one of those laws is you can't touch a dead body. Absolutely no, under no circumstances do you touch a dead body. Why? Because sin and death is very similar to what we think about with dirt for them. So whenever you take a shower, you get all nice and clean, and you walk into a filthy room, does that room become clean? No, you become filthy. And they thought the same way with sin and death. If you touch something dead, if you touch something unclean, you are now unclean. Well, Jesus has something else to show, amen? Now with Jesus, amen, right? He walks into a room, he touches a body, and he crosses a line. Jesus crossed a line. Jesus was a line crosser. He was a rule breaker. That is something that you should be celebrating about. Jesus was a rule breaker. Every time the religious people drew a line, Jesus crossed that line. Why did Jesus cross that line? Because love crosses lines. Why did Jesus cross the line? Because love crosses line. Distorted religion, it draws lines to keep people out. Nope, this is it. This is who you have to be. This is what you have to believe. This is how you have to walk. And if you don't cross this line, get out. Which is why I think so many people have been so hurt and want nothing to do with the church anymore. Religious people we care so much about rules and regulations and appearances. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Like, I want to be here for people. You're in good company. So did Jesus. We don't draw lines to keep people out. We cross lines to bring people in. We don't draw lines to keep people out. We cross lines to bring people in. So Jesus, he ignored. Think about what Jesus did here. He ignored every religious policy he was supposed to do then. Everything Jesus was supposed to do, he did the opposite in this scene. He touches a dead body. No boundary, no rules, no laws are going to keep Jesus from caring, though. I don't care what lines you draw in the sand. I'm going to cross them because my heart is overflowing with compassion. I am hurting, and I'm going to make this right. I'm going to make this right. And so Jesus touches the boy, and the crowd gasps. <gasps> Shocking. You're not supposed to do that, Jesus. But even more amazing is a different gasp that happened that day, right? The little boy sits up, and he gasps. Can somebody please give me an amen? Jesus touches this little boy, and the crowd gasps because Jesus is not supposed to be doing that, but because Jesus crossed the line, because Jesus loved so much, a little boy was brought back to life. God's work of restoration was done in this world, and it's hard to explain the act of compassion that Jesus, what he did for this single mom, who didn't have a husband, who had her whole life taken from her. She had no support. Now, in this context, she had no support. She's probably thinking, outside of her little boy being gone, she's probably thinking, I don't know how I'm going to eat anymore if I'm going to have to start begging, if I'm going to have to start doing something worse than that, but Jesus walks into her life, sees her in her pain, and touches her son, and he is alive again. 
Jesus walks over to this mom, and he not only gives her son back, but he gives her back hope. And there's some people in here who need hope back. You need hope back. You're lost in it. Your pain. I don't know if you're falling into the religious practices or you're just leaning into the hurt. But Jesus, we need you to touch the lives of everybody in this room. We need you to remind us that our brokenness doesn't define us, that our mistakes, they don't hold us back, that we are good enough for you. Jesus, I need you to touch me in this way, to remind me all of these things because I'm shaken, I'm unsettled. God, steady me. Steady me. That's my prayer. What's yours? What's your prayer? What's your word? Do you feel unsettled? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel depressed? Do you feel hopeless? My encouragement, (laughs) cry out to God because he cares for you. Do you believe that? Jesus told this woman, I will give you your son back and I will give up mine. And he does the same thing for you. He gave his only son so that you wouldn't be lost in the brokenness that you feel. He wants to give you your hope back. Jesus sees you. He notices you. The pain that you experience, it rips his gut out and his heart goes out to you. He cares about you more than you could ever imagine. Are you crying out to him though? How are you doing? How are you really doing? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your love, which never wavers. Help us to trust that no matter what struggles we face in life, you see us. You care for us. Help us to cast our cares and our concerns onto you and to share your love with other people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.